We're very thankful today to be joined by David McDonald. He is the author of a book about Fort Detroit. We have interviewed him in the past about a book that he had written about the first capital of Illinois, Kaskaskia. David, thanks for the time. Uh, glad to be here. Well, the last that we caught up with you, you were retired, but as we joked the last time we talked, uh, a lot of people when they retire say they don't have enough time to do anything. Uh, I know the feeling, and uh, I've kept uh, working with one of my uh, ex-students, and we've done a couple more books. One on uh, failed colonies of North America, and one is about to come out in a couple of weeks on failed colonies of the Caribbean and South America. It helps keep me off the streets, and that makes the neighbors very grateful. Well, this book about Fort Dechart, the title is The Many Lives of Fort Dechart, I believe? Yes. Commandant, soldiers, and civilians, too. It's a fascinating topic, and much more could be written about it beyond what I did. For those who may not be familiar, Fort Dechart is located in Randolph County, about five or six miles from a little community called uh, Prairie de Rocher. The roots of it extend all the way back to the around 1719 or 1720. The original uh, Fort Dechart was built there, a, a wooden structure, and it was commissioned by the French, and I think a lot about the fact that you know, whether it's Bucku Creek or Belleville or the Cache River or Dubois or Ducoin, uh, Southern Illinois was under French control for quite a while. And I think that that's often forgotten, David. Oh, indeed. Indeed. I've met so many people uh, in Illinois who have no idea that the French were ever here at all. There is an area in Missouri where there are a number of people who still speak Missouri French, uh, sometimes called Pawpaw French, and people come all the way over from France to study from France to study that dialect because it's it's basically 18th century French. How did the French come to be in control of this area in the early 1700s? Well, there were French, of course, up in Canada. They had been there for a very long time since uh, the late 17th century. Uh, excuse me, the early 17th century. And there were French in Louisiana. Illinois was simply on the way between the two of them. People came down here, first of all, as missionaries, and then as fur traders, and then people began to settle down and became farmers. Was there something specific about the region where Fort Dechart began to uh, take shape that made it a, a natural place for an outpost? Oh, yes. Uh, they had developed in Illinois by then half a dozen communities, uh, none of which had been planned. They had just sort of sprung up by themselves. And they were growing tremendous amounts of wheat, which was shipped down to New Orleans. They couldn't grow wheat down there, just wouldn't mature. New Orleans had become pretty much dependent upon the wheat from Illinois. So it was felt that it was pretty good to have somebody up here in authority and to protect the area, particularly since the local Indians, who were very much allied with the French, were traditional enemies of the Fox, who lived to the north. And the Fox were raiding down here in the 1720s. They were largely, almost completely wiped out in 1730 by a big 
coalition between French and half a dozen other Indian tribes. But it was a very lively place uh, in the 1720s because of these Indian raids. And so the fort that was originally set up was a wooden fort, and it sort of came and went with various floods. But at some point, there was a push by the French to build a more permanent structure. And that's kind of what we assume in today's world to be the Fort de Chart we see today? Yes, yes. That is a restoration on the original foundations that were done in the 1750s. So you can go down there and actually see stonework from the 1750s. As a matter of fact, the armory down there, the place where they stored gunpowder and all, is the oldest structure in Illinois. So that's part of the very original construction in the 1750s? Right. And then across the river, of course, in Missouri, beginning in the 1750s, is Saint-Genevieve. And Saint-Genevieve has got all sorts of uh, colonial structures left over there, too. So it's very fascinating to be able to take the little ferry across the river and see uh, Saint-Genevieve, which has just become a national park area. Uh, and see it for Tichard. And, and of course, you, there's still some of the original French towns around, like Prairie de Rocher, uh, which still has a couple of old buildings in there, though. <laughs> a couple of them have modern siding on it. You wouldn't realize that they're nearly as ancient as they look. Was Fort de Chart ever assailed, or were there ever any formal battles there? No, none at all. None at all. It would have taken artillery to take the stone fort, and nobody ever could figure out how to get artillery all the way up here. So, no, there was never any fighting in Fort Duchart, though people went out from Fort Duchart to fight in the east. They went all the way up the uh, Ohio River and fought the English in the French and Indian War. Fort Duchart, under the French occupation or rule of it, how long did that last? Well, it lasted right up until 1765 when the English came in, and they occupied it until the early 1770s. But by then, the river was changing course and washed away the back walls of it, uh, which is why there is no back wall to Fort Duchart to this day. It even had some later history during the War of 1812. They raided the old ruins and took some cannons out of it to place in a fort just north of Edwardsville. And the British control there, I assume, lasted until the American Revolution, whenever whoever was left there that was British was probably told that they needed to get out east to fight the rebels or something. George, George Rogers Clark came down in 1778 and took over the whole area bloodlessly. Uh, the French had never really liked the British occupation. And they hoped for better from the Americans, so they, they kind of pragmatically went along with it. The chart, uh, the fort now is recognized as a National Historic Landmark. And, of course, the event that's held there every year, the uh, Rendezvous, I've attended that many times over the course of my life, and it really is a great event. Is there a specific story from all your research about Fort de Chart, whether it be about a specific event or a specific personality that really stands out in your mind? 
so many interesting characters. Boisbriand, who was the very first commandant, was a very little man, and he had a crook in his back. But he was a very wise man, and he learned the Indian language before he came up here. And he also learned the Indian style of rhetoric. And when he came up, he met the Indians, and he delivered an oration to them in their own style. And when he finished, the Indians went to him and said, Oh, sir, you have such a great soul. That's why your back is crooked. Your small body could not contain it all by itself. Uh, he was a very, very interesting fellow, and he later became an interim commandant of uh, all of Louisiana. Uh, his mentor was uh, um, Bienville, who was called back to France for some consultations, and so Boisbriand took over during that time. But there were all sorts of interesting characters in it, and I, I tried to tried to pick some of the most interesting ones. All sorts of different people, including criminals and adventurers and fur traders and everyone else. We're visiting today with David McDonald. He is the author of The Many Lives of Fort Dechart, and Fort Dechart eventually fell into tremendous disrepair, and the locals cabbaged on to all sorts of stonework, and so uh, other than the magazine that you referenced earlier, the building that is the oldest building in Illinois located there, everything else that is there today is a reproduction or a reconstruction. Yeah, a reconstruction, but it's on the original foundations. They raided the place for, for stone. Well, the stone was just sitting there, so it was so tempting. Well, yeah, I can certainly uh, you, understand you, that. You see that in many other places, too. Oh, even up to this day. Uh, yeah, yeah. You can also see the old cemetery in Prairie de Rocher, where they moved some of the burials because they were afraid that the, the river was going to wash them out. And there's even a couple of stones there from very early missionaries. Where can people uh, find your book, David? I know Amazon has it, and I imagine most, not most, but a number of bookstores certainly have it. But, uh, yeah, I know Amazon has it, and a couple of others. And the book is called The Many Lives of Fort Dechard. I'm curious, as you researched this topic, culture of communication in that day. So if you're if you're in, at Fort Dechard and it's 1785 and you need to communicate with the next outpost, how is that working? I assume you're writing a letter, handing it to somebody who's then riding it on horseback to the next place? Exactly. And sometimes that can be a problem because there weren't always literate people around. If there was a priest around, he would be uh, he would be literate. But sometimes the the city clerk was somebody who was mm, barely literate, and then only in their particular dialect. So if you look at the Kaskaskia manuscripts, which are an amazing collection dating from as early as about 1720 clear up to about 1820 that are now kept in Chester. Sometimes you see things and you, you, you puzzle over what in the world could that word be? Fortunately, I have a French-Canadian friend who's 
French is infinitely better than mine and who is very experienced in reading 18th century documents. I remember one particular one thing I was puzzling over this one word. It looked like it said Tennesseans to me. And I sent him a video of an image of it. He said, actually, that word is Jesuits. But the handwriting was just so different that I couldn't make any sense out of it by myself. And so how do we know, you talk about the Kaskaskia files just then, what are the source documents that you go to to know what was going on at Fort Dechart over the course of the years from, say, 1750 up to the 1820s? Are they diaries or something else? Something else. I, I mentioned the uh, Kaskaskia manuscripts, uh, and they are an incredible collection of all sorts of things, documents about land sales, documents about people hiring uh, people to go fur trading or on a trip down to Louisiana to bring produce down there. There are a wealth of things, uh, even court cases. There is one poor fellow who had been sent uh, as an exile to Louisiana and then up to Fort Duchart because he had been uh, illegally trading in salt in France. And he got himself in even more trouble. He ended up breaking into a fellow's chicken coop and butchering a bunch of chickens and stealing them to make some incredible chicken soup. Well, he got caught and sent down to Louisiana where he got whipped and eventually ended up being sent back to France and condemned to the, to the, to the galleys as a rower in the, in the galleys. Uh, they did not think lightly of theft in uh, the 18th century. Well, you were living pretty close to the bone back then, and so if you, you lost out on foodstuffs, it uh, could literally mean life or death, especially once winter arrived, because life on the frontier was not easy. Very true, very true. And it, uh, another very interesting topic uh, is exchange. There was not a lot of money circulating around in Illinois, and what few gold and silver coins there were tended to flow back to France for imports. So people bartered. The uh, main item of barter was wheat, wheat and flour. And say you wanted to buy a a house, you might uh, pledge 2,000 measures of grain due at the next harvest the house. But anything can serve as a basis for barter. I've seen uh, documents where people bought things for uh, lumber, for making a a boat to go down to New Orleans, uh, for lead. Lead mining was very big, particularly on the Missouri side of the river. Bringing it up to today, I, I got a question back about the structure that's there now. Who built the structure that's there now? Margaret Brown, who knows more about French Illinois than I will ever, uh, led the excavation uh, that uncovered the the foundations, removed the piles of dendrus that had piled up over the centuries, and uh, the state paid for the reconstruction of the walls that are there now. Uh, They actually brought in all sorts of people to do the work. 
And was that in the 1920s or 1930s? It began in the 30s, but most of it was done in the 50s, I believe, as I remember. It almost seems as if it would have been like a civilian conservation corps type of project. Uh, I think they had something to do with it, at least in the early stages. Again, we're visiting with David McDonald. He is the author of The Many Lives of uh, Fort Detroit. David, I appreciate you joining us to talk about this uh, interesting piece of Southern Illinois history. Is there anything about it that um, maybe I wouldn't have known to ask about that you'd like to say before we let you go? Well, one thing that I found very striking uh, as I began to learn about this was the fact that until the 1950s, malaria was still present throughout that area. It was only after the Second World War and the use of DDT that they managed to wipe out malaria in the area. And I had no idea that that was the the case. Well, it would have been rampant amongst the uh, people that were inhabiting Fort Detroit many, many years before that then. Yeah, they seem, it seems to have come from Africa along with African-American slaves. That would have been traveling yes. up and down the river and been a part of Fort Detroit's history for sure. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I thought I would do some writing about uh, diseases and plagues at Saint-Genevieve, but I haven't been able to gather enough materials to, to make a comprehensive uh, work out of it. Well, again, we we appreciate his time today, um, Mr. David McDonald, uh, talking today about Fort Detroit in Randolph County, a little bit about its history and uh, how it came into existence. Uh, David, we thank you so much for your time. I'm delighted.